Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and we, we are here today to talk about the Warrior Prophet, chapters 22 through 24, and then kind of a general wrap-up of the entire book. It's my first time reading the Warrior Prophet, and I'm here with Daniel and Katarina, like we do every Friday, talking about the Prince of Nothing series. Uh, Daniel, do you want to give us an introduction? I'm Daniel, and I've read the Second Apocalypse a few times now. Yeah, and I'm Katarina, and uh, this was my second time reading The Warrior Prophet, and uh, I'm very excited because I forgot how wild and insane the the ending of this book is. Like, if you were, if you you were felt kind of let down by the ending of the first book, I think Baker makes up makes up for it in this one. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, Just want to mention something really quick uh, is that we're going to take a two week break. So if you're listening on the podcast, we'll be back in two weeks to talk about uh, the first four chapters of the thousand fold thought. So but if you're watching on YouTube, you may not see you may see one week of a break. So because the podcast is ahead of the YouTube videos. Uh, We did have a comment from Averill. Uh, Averill, thanks for watching and commenting. His comment was, I had the same questions about Katarina when it came to wondering who the defectives were during the Kellis flashback training scene. I assumed maybe there were other Dunyanes in training who couldn't cut it for some reason. Maybe they couldn't let go of emotion. So now they are used for training purposes. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's similar to my conclusion that uh, defectives were Dunyane that who failed to meet some some standard that the Donyane set for themselves. And so uh, were used for other purposes, deemed appropriate to their skills, I suppose. And the Donyane have high standards, so. <laughs> yeah, everything gets, everything has a purpose, I guess, if, you know, for training. Not very pleasant, but. Cool. So, uh, chapters 22 through 24, what did, uh, both of you think this one started out, uh, I would, some surprises in the first in chapter 22, I thought, but what did you, what did you all think? It was your first time reading it. I want to hear what you thought. I was surprised that, uh, well, first I thought it was, it was kind of funny that, that, uh, they named the baby, uh, Moingus. And they made sure that uh, no one knew about it because they were they were talking about it deliberately around him to make sure that he overheard the baby's name. So little, you know, good old Kellis. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, that caught me by surprise a little bit. And um, of course, uh, well, uh, I think Martimus is in the first one. The when he tries to kill Confus, and that doesn't work out too well for him. And I'm really starting to hate Sarsilus. I know we make we kind of laugh about Sarsilus, but he's just like that that villain that sticks around for too long, and you start to really like. At first, you appreciate him, and then it's like I really want him to be dead because he keeps you know getting in the way. And of course, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, Karen. That, no, that's interesting because I had the opposite reaction to Sarsilus. Really? Like, yeah. Like the more time we spend with him, I, I he kind of grew on me. Oh. But I can see how you would be frustrated by him. 
What about you, Daniel? Are you, are you pro or anti Sarcellus? He's an interesting thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, I I like him, but it just he keeps managing to, you know, kind of slip by and undetected. So I just kind of like want him to be, be dead. Um, and I I was. Uh, I always love it when a book references the title, either the title of the book or the title of the series in the book. I don't know why I get a kick out of that kind of thing. So when they call him a false, a false prophet and they call him the prince of nothing, I thought that was really neat. I, I get, it brings me joy. And then they call him the warrior prophet. They allude when he, he finally comes off the circumfix, he talks about the thousandfold thought. Which is what we're heading into next. Mm. Yeah, um, very curious to to find out what that could be, what that's all about. This must be really tough for both of you to not spoil anything for me. So, was this book better than the darkness that comes before? Which one was better to you? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough question. I think, I think darkness is better, but maybe it's because it's the first book and it's like the intro introduction to the series. So I kind of have a, a special connection with it because it's a, you know, but I, you know, not to say this book isn't good. I think it's right there next to it. Yeah. I think I share your opinion. Um, I don't think that Warrior Prophet is a bad book by any means, but especially on the second read, I didn't find the first like two thirds all that exciting. The ending I think is wonderful. Like, so much happens, There's so much intrigue and so many surprises. But for me that the first like half, first two thirds track a little bit. And I mean, I love darkness. It's like, it's one of my favorite books of all time. So um, it's hard to comp compete with that one. What do you think, Daniel, after your fifth or sixth time reading the, the series? I appreciate them both for their different parts, but I probably like the darkness that comes before the most because it's how I discovered the series. It's like my warm moment since the darkness that comes before or the whole second apocalypse is my favorite books it's like that old warm fuzzy book that other people feel only it's kind of brutal <laughs> that's true and of course uh poor, i i was really when i when i say i started to really dislike Sorcellus, i was really starting to like surway and of course She's not around anymore now either. Yeah, you should. You shouldn't probably get too attached to characters. Um, I speak from experience. <laughs> <clears throat> we lost a couple notable ones right at the end. Mm. Yes. Be like before we get into Surway or anyone else, I I just want to take a moment to uh, appreciate or, um, well, maybe not appreciate. Maybe appreciate is not the right word. Uh, but to acknowledge the loss of Martimus, the conference's general. Um, 
Um, I like. I think we mentioned. Like we already talked about it last week that he, well, he was lost to that. He 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 got lost to us. That that Kalas managed to convert him, but it was still sad to uh, see him betray Confis after so much that they went through together. Um, he, like, he's one of the favorites of mine. Uh, and Confis is a favorite of mine, so obviously I do feel bad for Confis as well. <laughs> Confis said he was going to keep him around. He's still got his head somewhere close by. Yeah, that was, that was a little bit morbid. <laughs> yeah, well, he hesitated, right? He He could have, but he just... He didn't strike when he could have, and so he got killed by Sarsalus. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, he also hesitated when he was supposed to cal- kill Callus, or at least assist in his assassination. So, like, I guess you get the sense that he was a little bit torn. Um, but he, I mean, in the end, he did choose Callus over Confis. The Dunyan charm. Yeah. And I mean, and you kind of get the sense at the very end that maybe he wasn't as happy being Confess's general as we previously thought. He has he has this like one line about kind of um, feeling bad about the things he had to do under the uh, um, orders of the of the Ikure. Um so maybe that could be a reason why he, uh, why Kalos got to him, but still, um, was loss of a great general. <laughs> yeah. The um, also there's a, a quote in here that I I think is kind of foreshadows what what's about to happen to Kalos when he he's talking to Espinette. He says sometimes. We must cross death. What we must cross death to reach our destination. So it kind of sets up what's about to happen. I think he says that right when he exits the probability trance, doesn't he? Yeah, right before um, a few pages before it, uh, Surway is killed. So it's on five nineteen, and Surway is killed on five twenty-five. So it's. Right, right, right before. Yeah, so like bef- before you know what happens, you you could think that maybe he, like you, you kind of left wondering if this is something that he planned for to happen, or or if he just was not, like if he was able to uh, predict this possible reality where he gets uh, crucified, or that's not really crucifixion. But sort of crucified by the by the great names. Yeah, <clears throat> he had tried to like go into the probability trance a couple times before, but said it just all went into shadow because he he was felt trapped. But then he went in, and after three days, I think it said he came out. And said that to Esmenet. Yeah, something like that. Like Esmenet would bring him water. Mm-hmm. And he would meditate. I love the little romance they have going on too. The You know, just like the 
because she, she knows that he's uh, she tells him something like you spin the sweetest lies or something like that like she knows that he's but she loves him anyway do you like do you not feel bad for a commune like yeah. or do you not think that she's being manipulated by Kellis? No, oh, she definitely is, but I think the Kamian made the mistake of leaving after all this time and after they had made this reconnected and they were together and they were and he he just leaves and they so I feel bad for him but at the same time kind of like you know he should have, should have chose love over books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the 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 scene where he reunites with Esmonet was pretty brutal. When he when he's like thinking of all the things he's going to say to her and all the jokes he's going to make and how he's going to hold her and touch her and then she's desperate because Kellis is dying and then he finds out that she's uh she's having Kellis's baby and his like everything that he imagined would happen just gets shattered. You think he says something like "still a whore" or something like that? Because she he goes from this really loving and caring, and you know he's wanting to get to her, and then it's like, yeah, it's not quite as as he expected it to work out. She was like his reason for surviving the torture from the Scarlet Spires, and the whole time he's getting in there and walking up and finding out we already know so it's just dreadful hearing his fluttery happy thoughts while everyone's dying and like eating rats around him boiling books yeah yeah that hurt <laughs> so that was that was pretty rough to read for me yeah, but I mean, at the same time, like, I do agree with you, Steve, that it's, at least to me, it's it's unclear, like, what part of blame Esmanet bears. Like, like I, I don't know, I don't know exactly how to feel about her um, succumbing to Callus. Like, to what extent is it just manipulation? To what extent does she actually like him or love him? Um, and, yeah, what would have happened if Akami and hadn't left hmm. um it's a complicated it's a, situation it's a good question what would have happened if he didn't leave who is more right Kellis or Tompus <laughs> at this point in time who just is better who's a better person who would you want to follow well I'm biased <laughs> at this, I said at this point <laughs> Tom just doesn't seem like a very nice person he's only trying to gain his gain Ickery more power more land so yeah I mean I, I think n neither of them has particularly good intentions or or at least pure intentions um i would say at least with the ikures you kind of know what they're after with kellis it's becoming more and more unclear 
what his end goal is. And could I you agree. ever really trust him? Could you ever really trust Kellis? As as a reader, we know better because it's been alluded to us. But if you were in the desert when Kellis dug water out of sand, you might have a different opinion. Yeah, but then the I think the idea that you have someone who his who's been able to gather so much following in such short time someone who has no who, who, who has no claim to uh who's no cl like official claim to power he, he's not a noble he's not from the three c's like that to me is is scary like having people follow leaders blindly it's never uh it that that whole that dust situation does not make me feel uh good hmm. i would say but it's it's hard to say like we do have more insight as readers than the uh Inrithi. um but i think i would be skeptical about people putting so much faith into one person well i think to daniel's to daniel's point about you know if he if you were all, you know, about to die in, in the desert and Kellis was the one who saved a few, quite a few of them, then maybe their opinion is a little different, but more willing to follow him. There's multiple stories about him, how he, like, defended the mayor's banner. <clears throat> all by himself and killed all the people and what else there's a couple other stories about him and then they just get exaggerated and exaggerated and then every time he talks people listen he's been just giving sermons so i think in the middle of a bunch of atrocity someone like that would be alluring just has changed something different than what you know the comp like the Icaries are gonna do which is just rule like they always have yeah I mean like I I, I understand like I do agree with you that like from their perspective he like I understand why they would follow him I just personally I'm a bit distrustful of personality cult. I get it. But it does make sense within the context of everything that's happened, why people flock to him and why they worship him. Um, and now that he <clears throat> got chained to a circle like Salvador da Vinci's human paint painting, to his dead wife and made it all the way down alive and then ripped a heart out of a chest that was a very confusing mm -hmm. part I, I i did thanks for bringing it up because i i this is the second time i read like the second time i read this book and i read this part and i still don't understand whose heart where from what what like why 
Was, is it supposed to be literal? Is it supposed to be figurative? I have no idea. What do you think, Steve? I thought it was literal the way I read it. It sounded literal, but maybe I'm wrong. So what happened? What literally <laughs> happened? I think a heart was pulled out. I just don't know whose heart was pulled out. I reread that part. Thanks for bringing that up. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, because I was really confused. That was one of the parts that I was not quite sure what the heck was going on. Because the way I read it was that he he pulled it out. But I don't know. Maybe I'm, it's figurative and not literal. I, I, I don't know. Like If it's literal, it would be strange that he pulled out his own heart. Um... So it could like if it was Surway's heart, then it would maybe make sense. But if it was figurative, I don't really know what it's supposed to mean. Do we know, Daniel? <laughs> or are like are not are, if we're speaking figuratively, are Duny not supposed to are are they supposed to not have a heart? Like they're not supposed to have any emotions, feelings. Figuratively, physiologically, they have hearts. Yeah, I, I figured physiologically, yes. Or do they? Well, when he's first coming off the circumfix, what is he thinking and saying? He's like looking at Saraway, thinking like how... Could she have died, right? She's not dead. She couldn't be dead. So these are all kind of unreasonable thoughts for a Dunyan to be having, if that makes sense. Because mm -hmm. we're in his head at that point. And then he's like begs his father to help. And then I think right after that is when he first like says, Oh, the thousandfold pot. He thinks he's grasped it. And they bring him down from the circumfix and he pulls a heart out of a chest and holds it up. And at first it's his heart. But then when he holds it up it's Saraway's heart. And he's still alive. So physically, obviously, it wasn't his heart, right? I think that's a logical conclusion. Yeah. So that was in his own head. It was it was his heart. Which is weird, right? It's like a kind hmm. of a, a glimpse of a sociopath kind of going crazy. A know-it-all. Just going nuts I, there was also one other part where we were in his head and he was up on the circumfix and he was talking about how he the path was unobtainable and he couldn't do it and he just thought he was dead right well he dangled up on this mm -hmm. Up on the umbilical tree, 
I don't remember what the tree was exactly called. Uh, I think it was an eucalyptus, but I don't remember the name. And I thought it was all going to burn down. When I came in and walked up to it the first time, he was angry. Well, he had he had he had a reason to be angry, but um, in the end, he like again, Akami chooses the apocalypse over Esmanet, over his feelings. Yeah, so I guess the cute. ranking is like Esmanet books apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> that was an intense weighing in his soul. I think he said he like weighed Esmet against the apocalypse in his soul. He was having a rough time there for a minute. Yeah, but then Kellis tells him about the the skin spies. Hmm. And that is more important to Akami than his anger or for vengeance. What about the scene where Nair was talking to Kevlis? Beating up Enrithi, pounding their skulls, and I think he even stuck his thumbs through one of like some eye sockets. Yeah. He was just being real mad, being a weeper. Yeah. <laughs> And and here I thought the madness was lifting. He couldn't even see Kellis and they were having a conversation, right? It was all well, too blurry, too blurry it, and too dark for Nair to see up there or something. It wasn't quite clear to me if... Well, I just assumed it was like his inner voice like he was talking to Kellis in his head like he wasn't actually talking to Kellis who was hanging there on this circum circumference he's got some inner voice that's Kellis that always is yelling at him just like he has the voice of all of his tribesmen calling him the weeper all the time he's got a lot of demons that he keeps in his head but yeah, those passages, they didn't have quotation marks. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Akamian passages did have quotation marks. So you're probably right. It was near just talking to himself, saying what Kellis would say. Trying to think of what the last thing he really said to him meant, which was something about the secret of war yeah war is conviction we yeah. learn from callus <laughs> and apparently conviction is stronger than intellect it seems considering the the result of the the very last battle at the end of the book There didn't seem to be much intellect involved in, in that strategy. Just a lot of very convicted people or 
believers launching themselves on the on the canning. Yep. What did you think about the battle part? The fact that the Kainin came in and encircled them in a city that had already been besieged and they just went in and destroyed the whole thing and then they all get locked in there. Just sick and starving. This whole journey was a really long one. I think Katarina you mentioned the first half or so, really long march and like so I think that was a way of kind of wearing us all down, like because of the through the desert and all the time we spent and the starvation and boiling books drinking a book broth uh, <laughs> to stay alive or their armor i think all that was a way of kind of because i felt i was tired reading reading about the holy war and what they went through and um so in that sense i think it was effective but it just took a while yeah yeah, I felt I felt some. I like the desert part. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> um, but I did. I did also felt a little bit worn down. Um, but the final battle is like I mean the whole siege of Karaskand is just crazy. Um, like one of the most one of the most chilling lines that 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 um, we. I found in, in one of I think it was maybe the, the last chapter the, the 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 penultimate chapter is when a Kamian enters Karaskand they walking they're walking him through the city and then then I think he enters Proes's palace and there's a Kianine woman and he's like this is the first Kianine that I've seen since I mm. entered the city and it, it's just like one line and but it gives you like it, it it gives you the scale of the destruction and horror that uh, the Inrithi brought on the city, and like just and this like the the environment that they find them like it's crazy like the fact that they destroy the city they besiege the city then they destroy it and they get themselves besieged and then they're left there with the destruction that they themselves brought on it's the whole like last like four eight chapters are just insane. Yeah, when I read that part, I stopped and thought about that, too. It would be crazy. And yet all of them are dressed like the Kyanine now. They all are, like, shrunken in. Their armor's too big for them. Only the Shrial Knights are still dressed, like, proper, but their stuff's so ragged and torn that they just look wearing chainmail, basically. Well, this, I think it described it as they look, they look like children wearing their... Parents' armor, something like that. They're tiny and withering away. The part where you find out that Nair's been like drinking his horse's blood. Lots of them have been drinking their horse's blood. Their horses are all like shrunken in, shriveled up. I, I was surprised there were any horses left by that point. <laughs> Um, true. And yeah. there are other, there are other people eating worse things in that city. I don't think these are their initial horses. These are kain kain horses. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. they could have been. Yeah. Definitely 
Daybreak's dead. Damien's poor mule. I think he said at one point he, like he, um, he lost his mule. I don't know yeah, if they specifically I, I, mentioned it. He just, he does mention, but I didn't remember. Well, he took it to the library with him. Mm. So I guess it got destroyed. Like it either got destroyed or taken by the Scarlet Spires. I don't remember exactly. I like to think he was he's freed and he's in a field somewhere enjoying life. Just poor mule. Did he get bloodletted? Or even? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I would I would think the horses would the horses would be some of the first animals to go. I mean, because they're big and meaty and starving. I mean, they're eating rats. So. Then we had Confus's whole little game he played with Nair to like drag him against Kellis by having those guards go, or those two guys go, till they found Nair and having a conversation right next to him. Yeah. About the son's name, just to really piss him off. Worked. And once Kellis went up on the swazen, or the circumfix, he carved a swazen on his neck. Hmm. So he's got one directly on his neck now kind of made it sound like he was trying to kill himself and then everyone looked at him and just seen blood all over him what the hell has this guy been through yeah that's that's was on that's was on was for survey right maybe he denied that it was him that killed her tried but he knows it was him that killed her he, he seems to go through a lot of u-turns in in these last few chapters like he goes from following Kellis to betraying him and then saving him um and now he seems to think like hatred is his weapon this hatred of Kellis kept him alive his hatred of everyone is what's propping him along in life now pure rage I mean it's an interesting comparison with a commune who uh, decides that the like decides eventually that the, the fate of the world is more important than his rage or his vengeance whereas Nayor like arrives at the conclusion that the only thing that can keep him going is exactly that it's, it's the vengeance and, and the anger he feels towards Mwangas. And then there's part where they're both like talking about or Nair walks into the meeting and he's like does Akamian know the same thing I know? Because Akamian throws the head out and starts trying to save Kellis when Nair was going to try to save Kellis. And he's like I don't need to. Akamian's going to do it. Maybe he um. knows the same thing I know but they know they can have different conclusions. Hmm. Yeah, Akamian fails. But it, in the end, it doesn't matter because Nior and Eliseris succeed in saving Kellis. Um, 
But I felt really bad for Akame. Like, he made this amazing speech about the apocalypse and about saving the world from the, the second one. And they all, they all just laugh at him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was, that was, um, I, I, I felt really heartbroken for Akame. Yeah, good thing the Scarlet Spires at the same time decided they needed him anyways. So they just ignored the whole procession and went to find out how he knows. Who knows how they would have found out how he knows if they would have got him down. Yeah. Did did you did you um, guess that uh, Kefra Mooney was a skin spy, Steve? No, I didn't. I didn't catch that one at all, but I, I did love Akami getting laughed at because usually you ex you expect the whole you know everyone to kind of or you know everyone gets you know excited and and kind of on the same page and that didn't happen. I, and I love I love that, <laughs> but I think that that probably speaks to you know just the the respect that Akami and Hazard doesn't have that he's so which is no respect. Very little, yeah. And the mandate. The mandate themselves yeah. as a school. Yeah. Chasing shadows, as everyone calls it. Yeah. But, I mean, just going quickly back to Kefra Mooney, if you reread this book, you'll notice that there are little hints. Hmm. Um, so, there's... At, like, at first you learn that there was a, another body in High Anon um, that washed up in the river without a face. So we know there is a there's there there is a second at least another another skin spy in uh, among the Scarlet Spires. And then um, there is I think it's during the Battle of Enverat, the second battle, where uh, the Anon and Anonite camp where the the a um army gets um it's routed by the kianin and like the the general dies and all like all the generals die but the kefir Mooney, like miraculously escapes um which is very suspicious on a second read but uh, not really something you would catch on on your first one i think i totally missed that so there's there's a body that washes up without a face i don't know if i remember that that's interesting. In, when in Rao washes up, uh, or not in Rao, when the um, um, Akamian's yeah, mm. first little guy that he got killed talking to him in the bar, that guy washes up with another guy. Mm. Yeah, they do, like, in the, the Scarlet Spires do an investigation. Um, they want to know if if it happened before, and they uh, they have they found a record of a body that washed up like a few years before Gishruni, um, also without a face. So they just assume it was like another spy uh, or like another spy of the, of the mandate. Uh, but I mean, we, we know that Gishruni was killed by a, a skin spy. So it's, it's safe to assume that uh, the first, the first corpse was, uh, was turned or was replaced by a skin spy as well. Hmm. What else did you notice on this on this reread that you didn't before? Uh, 
Man, I have to think about it. I can't think of anything from the top of my head. Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll, if I if I come up with something, I'll let you know. Yeah. Seems like the kind of series that you can read it like Daniel has a bunch of times over and still catch new things. There's just so much um, in these books. Yeah, for sure. The world is pretty layered. I think that it dates all the way back to Flint tools, basically. So a lot has happened in those years. One thing I did notice is, I think on the last chapter, one of there was a quote at the beginning that said, what is the meaning of a deluded life? And I just started Light, Time, and Gravity, his autobiography, and it starts out with that exact passage. What is the meaning of a deluded life? Really? Yep. So that what is it? <laughs> interesting correlation. Who knows? I don't have a PhD in philosophy. <laughs> Even though people that do haven't told any of us, so I don't think they know either. There's so many great uh, quotes in the book, but one that stuck out to me was um, on 578, it was strange the way memory uh, cared nothing for the form of the past. Perhaps this is why those dying of old age were so often incredulous. Through memory, the past assailed the present, not in queries arranged by calendar or chronicle, but as a hungry mob of yesterdays. That's good. That's good stuff. One I picked out that's similar, I guess, is for all things there is a toll. We pay in breaths and our purse is soon empty. Yeah, I, I had a couple, but I didn't write them down. So, if I find one, I'll read it out loud. But I can't. I can't see it now. I went through a few tabs. <laughs> That's a lot of tabs. Yeah, it went a little crazy. But these are very tabable books. Yes. We got an interesting history lesson from the Canyon that was cool to read about. Yeah. When he was trying to convince them all of the techni, some invisible monsters that they forgot about. What did you think about that, Steve? I, lo I love that we finally got um, kind of like a history of what, what has happened in the past and how that past, um, you know, affected this story, reasons why certain things are happening. But it was a lot in like three pages. It was a lot of, a lot of information in three pages. But it was great. Kind of setting up, I guess, the rest of the series, right? Is the way, it's the impression I got from it. A little bit, or history, at least some history. It talked about how 
the Inkarai that came down from, what did it call it? The, I don't know, the worst thing to fall from the heavens. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's on 581. It starts, let me pull it up. And they talk about how these guys that came out wielded flesh like blacksmiths make like turn steel into weapons these guys work flesh the same way which is interesting right what does that mean what does this even mean well i i would say it's it's called the techne for a reason what's that whoops well it does sound a little bit related to technology maybe <laughs> i don't know it's a good interesting thought thank you yeah. what did you think steve did you catch that no i didn't um I didn't catch that. With fantasy, sometimes it's hard to, uh, you know, if it's just a weird name or if it's related to something. Um, I was trying to find that part where it references the s fell from the sky or... There's been several re references I've brought up about like an arc coming down and it being a confusing place place where a lot of bad stuff happened but I think I have it highlighted too I can find it so it's interesting their magic is called the techne which is similar to technology and they're the ones charged with creating the skin spies the bash rags the Raku, which are dragons, and the no god Mogfaro. It even says that when they went down there, they found some stuff that they had never even like used yet, but nobody could figure out how to use it. Because hmm. it talked about the wars, and the non-men had went and basically defeated the Inkarai all the way back up to the twin golden horns and then blocked and defeated them and blocked it off with glamours they called it mm -hmm. and then they came down and were teaching men and eventually some of the one of the mage tribes heard about it and decided they were going to go up there and then they called themselves like the second coming of the Inkarai and started trying to figure out these instruments that are on this arc which is sounds sci-fi <laughs> sounds, sounds pretty sci-fi i i don't i don't really know what to say without spoiling anything neither all i know is that it sounds sci-fi <laughs> Well, there is a golden arc that fell from the void to the earth. 
So, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So let me ask, let me ask this. And I know that neither of you will spoil, but do we get a lot of answers in the next book or is it, does it carry over into the second or the next uh, series? I guess how many, how much of this is answered in the next book? How much of it is carried over? What percentage? Like Katarina um, said, this book is, this series is based on something that is a historical event. Semi-loosely, semi-not-loosely. If you read afterwards what happened, then it's the ties are quite strong. But then there's a whole little side story that definitely didn't happen in the world's history. <laughs> and that will get... It'll get brought up just like it has before. I th I think it's safe to say that um, the Prince of Nothing trilogy concerns itself mostly with the Holy War. Like it it does resolve the story the, of the Holy War. Um, but you will get more of the lore from the, from the ancient past in the, in the next books, like in the, mm. in the, uh, Aspect Emperor books. So the, the, the main, the main story of, of, that we've been reading about so far, um, does get resolved in the Thousandfold Thought, but there are a lot of questions left unopened. So that you have to continue with the Aspect Emperor. <laughs> he has a way of ending his books to where you'll want to figure out what happens next. Mostly, apparently, except in the Warrior Prophet. Or not the Warrior Prophet, the White Luck Warrior, according to Katarina. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, for the, for those of you who are not aware, I, I did I did just finish the, the White Luck Warrior. Um, and it it's not it's not that it it did make me want to figure out what's going to happen later, but considering all the endings of all the books I've read so far, it did it did feel a little anticlimactic and confusing and and messy without getting into any spoilers. <laughs> Well, we'll we shall see. I was, I was so happy when uh, Sarcellus finally got got killed. That made me happy. Yeah, I, I was I was a bit sad. <laughs> um, not, not that he was a good guy, but I, I guess it was interesting for me for me to uh, read for my POV that's so evidently not human. Like that's something that made him interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, that he's not, like he, he's, he's not a, an animal really. Well, he's sort of an animal. He's maybe sort of a machine, but also 
like has a very high level of intelligence that makes him seem kind of human. Uh, but very, very clearly he's not, uh, he's not human. So like, that's something I found interesting about his character and about his, um, his POV sections. And you also get to learn a little bit more about the consult and the Inkroy through him. So that's also amazing, makes him interesting, I think. That's a good point. And uh, <laughs> whenever, whenever Sauban pops up, I always, <laughs> I always have to laugh. Uh, he was king and everyone was starving. Just got a good chuckle out of that. Because for those who don't know, Saban is Katarina's favorite uh, character. <laughs> Poor Saban. Yeah, finally a king of Curse Kant. Which is their tomb. It was going to be their tomb. Yeah, nearly was. And he doesn't even have the spine to, <laughs> you know, like when, you know, he, like, he's like the, he owes everything to Callus essentially, but he doesn't even have the spine to support him against all the other great names because he just wants to be king. <sighs> what a, what a terrible, weak character. That's fair. And the uh, when the Holy War does leave, and they um, after they accept the offer, I was surprised that they accepted. And they were, and they uh, continued on their march. What, what what offer are you talking about? Let me pull it up. Um, when the uh, Kian sent a message to the men of the Tusk who, whom he knew, he knew were doomed the message was an offer an extremely generous one if the Holy War relented, yielded Karkstand and uh, forswore their worship of the false gods then they would be spared and given lands okay, right um, well, they seemingly accepted, or they they yeah. send they send ambassadors to the uh, what's his name, Padi Raja. Yeah. The throat slitters. Yeah, who then go on to slit their own throats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which gives it gives you an idea of how strong influence callous holds over these people mm -hmm. and the last uh i think the last i don't know six or seven pages were probably the darkest yet in this i think the most disturbing of the, of the two books that we've read so far anyway that was 
pretty intense. And what happens? <laughs> Tell us in detail. Oosh, that'd be tough. Uh, no, please don't tell us in detail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, was, that was kind of, that was rough. But. Yeah, I thought it was pretty jarring. Like, we've been following the, the Holy War the whole time, <laughs> at least in, in this book. Like, we spend most of the time in the South, and then suddenly, like, five pages from the end, we jump to the very North. Mm -hmm. um, and you get a bit of a glimpse of what the, what the consult are about. And there seems to be... Um, it seems to suggest that there is a sort of an alliance between the Strang, the uh, the consult, and the non-man. Yeah, I was a little bit confused because they were all there at the end, and I, I expected it to just be one or two, but they were all gathered there. So I was a little bit confused at the end of who exactly was there and who was... Um, you know, kind of who was involved in it, but yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think like what we can say about it without spoiling anything. Well, it was um, well, the light in the last line or the information that they wanted was what was it? Who are the Dunyane? But I did find it a little weird that when they brought the when they kidnapped the um. When they kidnapped, I forget his name that we're following, and they take him to the camp, and the whoever didn't find their families, he were killed immediately. Yeah. And the other ones were tortured, and other in the most horrendous ways you can imagine. <laughs> but um, so I thought that was kind of I figured it's because they used it as leverage to get information and kind of use it against them. So that's kind of was my thought, but I don't know if there's more to that, that you can talk about. I mean, that, that's the same that I got from it. I don't know if there's anything else, like any other reason why they would kill the people who didn't have anyone they cared about. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think I, I, I had the same thoughts as you, Steve. I don't know if Daniel has anything to add to that. I had about the same thoughts. They do say that they worship the same God. Yeah, they do. They worship the dead God. I think the Phantom also worship the dead God. Mm, I think they even say that at one point, right? I mean, the Skilvendi worship the dead god. I think the Kianinjas worship the one god, as opposed to the one god and all the other gods as Dean Rithi. I think. And they do mention, they do mention um, the Great Ruiner. 
I think it's Cercellus who says to Naor that they worship the same god. But I think so. I thought the implication there was that, uh, the like Sarcellus is belongs to the consult who sort of worship the no god, and then Naor is Kilvendi, and they also worship the the Lokong, the 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 no god. So I thought that that was the connection between the two. Who is being tortured at that last scene? Who's being tortured and who is there? Isn't it the consult that's there and the Sylvendi tribe? Were there were there Sylvendi? I thought they were just some random Norse tribe people. Yeah, just a I thought they were just a random. But maybe not. Um, hmm. Maybe the name's Angelus. That's a weird name. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just assumed there were like some North Norse tribe tribe living up there in the north, and um, they came across a tribe of the Strank. I'll have to read it again. The part was pretty confusing. There were shields made out of faces and clothing made out of human skin and just lots mm -hmm. of rough stuff. Those rank are pretty brutal. I think the fire pits just had dead babies in them. That's, I guess that's what they like to eat. What did you have any thoughts on the winked creature that makes an appearance at the very end? I thought back to um, what's the creature's name um, that met with, that met with Sorcellus, the little face. The synthes. Hmm. Synthes. That's an interesting thought. <laughs> I love how you guys uh, handle spoilers. Right this here, must be a tough one. It says it's talking about when the thing's like killing his family and his kids in front of him, trying to figure out a question he doesn't know the answer to. It says effortlessly, the Inkarai snapped Valris's tether and hoisted her before him, held her as though she were a doll. Bengula shrieked, Mama, Mama. So it says that the Inkorai hoisted up this guy's wife. Hmm. And what are Inkorai? <laughs> I wonder if we read that section. Yeah, it's no, five, it's, it's it five is pages, hard. But it's a lot. It is it is hard to keep track of what you're already supposed to know or not. And all these people who have lived for so long that their names just get stacked up and up and up, so they get called by 
50 different names just depending on who's calling them the name which can add to the confusion <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure I, I think the synthes already has like five other names they are a race of lovers yeah yeah i think that's one of the um one of the epigraphs and the darkness that comes before is about the Incroy, and it says that they are the the race of lovers and and something else which i can't remember but there's like one short epigraph that uh, talks about them. Yeah, it's tough to keep up. It's in the uh, glass or in the in the darkness. Yeah, I think it was an epigraph in 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 darkness. Oh, okay. Once we get to the end of the thousandfold thought, you can read that hundred-page appendix and <laughs> really get in there. There's a part. There's a part where this Imperi asks Angelus. He says, "Do you know who we?" Or do you know what we are? And he says, the great ruiner. And it says, no, we are not he. We are his servant. Save my brother. We are the last of those who descended from the void. So they descended from the void. This guy and his brother are the last ones left. But this is happening on the entire other side of the world, which we haven't been to all booked, really. Just yeah. only, only dealt with the immediate. And I would expect kind of more of that. <laughs> We're still in the middle of a holy war. We got a young boy turned into a man trying to find his father. Uh, I heartbroken barbarian who just wants vengeance on the guy who broke his heart so it's, yeah. it's basically a romance <laughs> hey basically we, we have a, a whore that's now married a prophet and is pregnant with his child turned into a queen of nothing I do get the impression that Espinette has some kind of significance, though. That she's going to play a major part in the story some at some point. There's something about her that's special. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I think uh, Kellis, he's he's at someone at, or someone he's talking to someone. I forget to mark the page, but uh, Kellis' answer is something like she see she sees things that you don't, or she knows things that you don't. Um, so I kind of got the impression that she's going to play a big part in the story at some point. 
Yeah, I think if nothing else, she is quite intelligent and devoted to Kellis. So she is someone he can probably rely on um, to delegate things to her if need be. Um, but that's all I say about that. Did you at any point think that about Sarahway? No. Um, I thought I didn't think she'd die in this one, but I didn't think uh, she served that big of a part. But I, I wanted her to survive. But that yeah. reminded me of an interesting part where Estinette's kind of like calling Sarahway dumb, being like, "What does Kellis even see in this ditzy girl?" And then she realizes that it was like she was easy to fool. It was the absolute devotion, yet she's so much smarter and she's been fully deceived the exact same way. Just the same way as that little naive girl. No matter how smart she thinks she is. That's a good point. I I, I thought it was, it was pretty sad to know that like for for once, survey was actually happy. Like for a very brief period of time, like no one was beating her or abusing her. Um, she felt loved, and she had people or children of her own to love. And then it just gets all destroyed and taken away from her, and she has her throat slit and is hanged upside down from a from a circumference. Um, she's a, she like, she, I don't like, I, I did her, her entire journey hit me a lot harder on this, on the, this time, this time reading the, through the series. So like know that she finally found like a moment of peace and then it's just, it just gets taken away made it all the more sad. Everyone was dying all around her. She doesn't get to be happy. That's, that's insane. She was insane to be happy in the midst of, like, people eating rats and horse blood trapped there in a tomb. But she was happy. You're right. I came in for one brief moment, was happy, as the net for a brief moment has been happy. Maybe Essinet's still happy. She's happy now anyways. Kellis is off the wall <laughs> or off the tree. And it seems like he's won the holy war. They have to yield to him now. It's like if Jesus eventually got pulled off the cross and they're like, oh, we're sorry. What should we do? Yeah, except Jesus didn't come back to assemble an army and destroy another nation. <laughs> as he, far as I remember. He inspired the words that would later do that, though. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair point. It's the history we're reading about.
there's there's one moment that I wanted to uh, mention um, about Kellis when he's hanging on the on the circle upside down, and he's sort of like it's it's unclear if he's dreaming or just having visions or like it's unclear like what state he's in but it's he has a vision i think of there's one that when he's in tunnels and then there's one of like a person and a tree and he hears the voice of the no god um or at least it, he it voice that's ask the same questions that we know the the no god asks at the battle of mangetta um i thought that was interesting um i don't really know what to think about it but it seems um strange that he would have those kinds of that he would dream have those kind of dreams or um visions while he was hanging on the tree Didn't he also have those once before? Or am I wrong? It could have been a Canadian, but I remember reading what do you see in bold print once before. I think that was just a Kamian. As far as as far as I remember. Yes. I think so. I think that's just uh Siswatha's memories that we've read about up until the moment where Callis has his dreams. So I wondered yeah. if some like if there was a, if that was somehow related to him being uh, crucified. If something was happening to him. It reminded me of another time Killis kind of went crazy. I don't remember when it was, but he was having trouble walking all the paths. And there was just a couple words that said, a dead wife. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I think there was somewhere like early, like in the early chapters of this book where he's He's going through all the different pos like possible versions of the future, and they're one of them. Too, they're all too abstract, but he still is like glimpsing pieces of them. Hmm. Or maybe he's going crazy. But he was on the circumference, thinking about how he wanted to save his wife, Sarway, when he finally came to asking his father to save his wife, even though he knew she was dead. Hmm. Yeah, that felt very unlike Kellis. Him sort of wishing for Sarway to be alive, or like wishing her into living. Um, it seemed like he almost cared about her. <laughs> almost. You've been hung upside down and haven't ate or drank in who knows how long. Who knows what level of delusion you have? Yeah, that's my that's my that's my uh, question. 
Mayor um, is still dealing with that too. He's like still trying to come out of being insane, he thinks. <laughs> yeah, if, if you spend like, what is it, like two days, three days hanging upside down, is, isn't all that blood going to do some brain damage to you? Is my question. <laughs> I don't know if it would do brain damage. It's not good. It definitely mess you up. If anyone has a chance of surviving it, it's someone who knows how to meditate, probably. A Buddhist monk, I would expect to be better at handling it than other people. Hmm. Yeah, or, or someone who has the uh, ability to control their blood flow. <laughs> Blood circulation. Wim Hof, maybe. He's pretty good at it. So did, did you notice anything on this reread, Daniel, that you had it before? A little bit. <laughs> I noticed a little bit. It was definitely good to read hmm. and catch the way people acted in certain parts. It's like Katarina said with Seferumi, is that the right name? Whatever the Kef name is. Mm. Kefermuni. Yeah. How... They didn't act completely normal, just like Scarus didn't act completely normal. Mm. Catching things when you know people's positions ahead of time. So I just see a little deeper than you into the darkness that comes <laughs> before. Yeah, I, I did think of one thing, but I can't say it. Because that would be a spoiler for the next book. Um, mm. So when we get to it, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it again. Um, but it's something that has to do with the Icurase, with the uh, with the Imperial family. Hmm. Were you sad that we didn't get a lot of the Imperial family? Katarina, you love them. Yes, I was sad. I mean, I was happy that we got a little bit more of Confis at the end. Um, I was very excited when it seemed like um, he was he was going to uh, succeed in defeating Kellis. Um, but uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out. <laughs> but it is in, it is interesting that he's basically the only one who's been able to resist to Kellis's influence the whole time. With hate. Sheer hatred. <laughs> Conviction. Conviction is the key to war, and he has so much hatred that it is conviction. I... Maybe... I wouldn't say that it's hatred that's I would say his conviction is more, more about his faith in himself. Like, I feel for a lot of the other people, they want something to believe in, perhaps. 
Whereas Confus is totally fine just being himself or being with himself. Which is not something you can say about other normal people. <laughs> There's not a lot of normal people in this series. They're all dead. Most of them. But yeah, I'm I'm, ex I'm excited to um, see how the um, holy war situation evolves in in the next book. Um, do you have any Do you have any predictions, Steve, for what's going to happen in the Thousandfold Thought? I knew that question was coming, <laughs> and honestly, I have no idea. I don't have I don't have any clue what's going to happen. Do you think they're going to reach Shima? No. If they do reach it, I don't think it'll be what they think it is. Hmm. That's my prediction. So I think Esmanet will have a big part to play, uh, an important part, and nothing will go the way that we think or they think. Well, for us first-time readers, anyway, mm -hmm. think that it'll go. So, so it makes the series really hard to predict because it's just so out of it's just so many crazy things that pop up and so many different threads going that it's hard to make predictions. But I'm excited to get into the next one. Just have no clue what's coming though. Yeah, I think especially with Kellis, it's really hard to say what he's like. It's not clear what he's planning at all. Um, if he's there, just like if he's there actually, if he's actually there to assassinate his father, or if he has, if there's something else going on with him um so i understand that it's hard to uh, make any predictions if you don't even know like what the character's motivations are or what it is that they are striving for there's a part he was talking about lineage even he's like is that what you summoned me for father so Kellis still doesn't even know why he got summoned. Mm -hmm. But he said that the Dunedin wanted him to kill his dad. Well, we know at least one person wants to kill Kellis' dad. Yeah, we know him. Yeah, we know that. He's given up so many times. Decided to settle with Kellis. Yeah, I, I was pretty surprised when, when at one point Nagor decided, like, realized he wasn't going to, or he, like, he wasn't going to succeed in killing Moangos, or maybe if, even if he did, that it wouldn't actually accomplish what he thought it would accomplish. 
I thought that was quite mature of him. And then he changed his <laughs> mind again. Um, when he when he found out that they named the baby Moengus. Yeah, he's very unpredictable, back and forth, very impulsive. It's a hard for a Demian to control, or so he thought, until he realized that he just controlled everything around him and pushed him the directions he wanted to anyways. It's just Kellis's levels of manipulation. Oh, and yeah. uh, Camion said he's a teacher no longer. Mm -hmm. not a, he's not a spy anymore. He's not a teacher. He doesn't answer to the mandate, it seems. He's chosen Ke Kellis over Esmet, over his school. So he seems ready to teach Kellis the note. The gnosis, like he said he was going to. Yeah, I, I do find um, a comment's faith in Kellis a little bit confusing. I'm like, it's, I'm not entirely convinced, or it's not his reasons for believing like being willing to give up everything for Kellis and believing that he's somehow going to save the world there just doesn't seem to be that much ground for that like it, it seems like it's based more of a on a feeling rather than anything else or I don't, maybe it's just product of Kellis's manipulation like maybe he worked a commune to too well um but there doesn't seem to be enough like logical reasons for him to believe like for for him to sacrifice everything for Kellis, especially after all like the things that Kellis did to him uh concerning esmanet and his reasons the first part are because of their dream the prophecy the Dunyan will return, like he's the second coming of uh, Seswatha. He's a harbinger. And, and the fact that since he dreams, Seswatha's dreams, so he kind of like knows King Kelmomis, he knows that Kellis is more than Kelmomis more than Seswatha, so his potential might be enough to overweigh the fact that they seem to have lost whatever the tool they used to kill the original no-god with, the Heron Spear. It seems to have disappeared. So Akamian think, knows that they don't really stand a chance, but he thinks with this guy that's the harbinger that's also smarter than who Akamian considers the smartest people. There's hope. So Kellis is like hope to prevent the second apocalypse, the only hope 
got in the end. Hmm. Yeah, but the the prophecy itself is quite ambiguous. It's it's not immediately clear if if the the um, is supposed to uh, save the world or well it doesn't really say anything about him saving or destroying the world it just says that it's he's the harbinger of the apocalypse so we know that the apocalypse probably coming but it's not clear what Kellis's role in it is yeah just that he's really smart. And there was like a point where the Canadian was wondering what his intellect could do with the Gnosis. Because the, the mandate are like little kids that know the Gnosis. The Gnosis and if Kellis knows it, just like he did with mathematics and all of the literature, he can maybe see further than even the mandate can hmm. into whatever their own magic is. Hmm. Maybe he could be cooler than Saswatha. Saswatha didn't have 2,000 years of genetic manipulation and training. <laughs> and I think Akamian sees the glimpses of that, or sees the hope that since Kellis appears to be more that he has a chance against the no god. Yeah, well, a Kamian is an optimist. <laughs> yeah, he has to be. So, did you like it on the? Did you like this book better on the reread, both of you? I think I'm, I probably liked it the same or maybe a little bit less hmm. because on the first read, I was just so excited to see what was going to happen. Um, whereas like this time, this time I already knew. Um, so I had things that I was looking forward to, um, the ending specifically, um, but the March and the battles because I already knew the outcome were a little bit less exciting to read about this time. And also it's just, yeah. sorry. Um, no, it's, it's just like compared to dark, like I think darkness is one that like, there's so like, it's so dense. There's so much in it that like, even if you reread, if you reread a couple of times, there's still things that you can get out from it. I think, um, this the this book the the warrior prophet is it doesn't seem as dense like there's a little bit less for you to um you know put your put your teeth in um but it was still fun like i still enjoyed it especially especially the the latter half of the book what about you daniel I thought it was good. I, enjoy, I enjoyed watching us go from what? 
150,000 people down to 70 maybe now. 70 just shriveled up people whose arms are smaller than their swords. <laughs> it's just been fun to read the hardship. And sad. It's it's savage to just think that that happened in history. Yeah. That these people get had a bunch of atrocities done against them, so they muster a big army together and go commit the same atrocities in the name of different gods, thinking that one atrocity is less bad than the next because it's in the name of the right god. And the right god is all about perspective just like yeah. in history the christians and the muslims both murdered entire peoples so that's what we're seeing and it was it was fun to read about sad but fun it's gonna be a, a blurb on a book it was fun to read about the hardship <laughs> and that and now we're just to the most battle-hardened, battle-tested group of people left that are all completely devout to someone, enough to slit their throats in unison. I mean, the number of casualties in this book is pretty crazy. Considering that we started at, I think, like 300,000, we're down to 50,000. And that's even before the last battle begins. Um, like the amount of people that died is... I can't really fathom it. And all the cities that were sacked along the way. And... Yeah. Yeah, and like a lot of the... A lot of the, the massacres or the horrors like you don't really, like, they're sort of mentioned on the sidelines. You don't actually get to see them. But like, I, I, I imagine what the would, what the book would be like if you also get the fan in perspective. Or, like, some of the peoples that they conquered, conquered along the way. Um, I mean, it's, it's just, it's an interesting choice to have just, I think, well, except for, like, very small exceptions to have just the have the story told from the point of view of the Enrithi. Hmm. And then how the war kind of just dragged on in areas, just like marching mostly, dying and marching. It was the same experience, I guess, you guys kind of said you felt. It was like a long drag on, wear you down, and then boom at the end, a large explosion at the end, which is, I guess, kind of what they went through. Yeah. Um, I'll say, I would also say one, one reason why I was not ex as excited about this book is just, I think there's too much sob on. <laughs> just a little too much. Like, I understand he has a purpose in this book, 
but you know maybe you could have the scenes with him done from a like different POV character. Just a suggestion. Poor Sabon. Sorceress. You want yeah. sorceress inspecting Sabon, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a, a preferable option for me. Poor Sabon. Oh, I, we also saw Ursula's shrink camera again. Did you just catch that? He, he chopped. He chopped the uh, a mastodon's head off in one single swipe. Well, that's right. Pretty brutal. I feel like he also yelled at Nair too, but you couldn't see what he was saying because they speak a different language. He was just yelling at him. I think mocking him because he like had to look like he slit his own throat. Yeah, Call that's him the weeper. <laughs> but I think the the problem is that I think Nayor always thinks that everyone's mocking him. Uh, like he always <laughs> he always thinks the worst. The worst possible thing is happening. Um, so it's. I don't know if we can take if we can think of him as a reliable narrator in that particular scene. It's true. He does always think someone's laughing at him, though. Yeah. It's because all the voices in his head are all like negative voices that are laughing at him. Kellis is just constantly laughing at him in his head. Malingus laughing at him. All. All his tribespeople, all his uncles that he had to kill for calling him a weeper. Good stuff. You guys have anything else you want to mention? Nothing. I can't really think of anything else. I think we, I think we covered all the important. Um, did you did you have anything you wanted to discuss that we didn't get to, Daniel? Uh, I'm sure we missed a little bit, but no. I guess the only people that know Sephira Mooney was a skin spy is a Lazarus now. He didn't tell anyone. They said he died of uh, hemoplexy, the disease or whatever. Yeah. Eleazarus and the new king regent of Hyanon, I think. Whose name I don't remember. And then I guess we missed the part where the Zed and Yaden tried to assassinate Sarsalus and drop like hot tar on him. And the oh, fact yeah. that he had to be like all secreted because his face was unfurled when he saved Contus from Martinus. We killed Martinus. Yeah, they shot him with the fire with the arrow that had a fire at the tip of it. Dropped tar all over him and burned him. <laughs> yeah. And the guy, the synthesis is like, oh, you got to put your face back together anyways. 
and it just said basically the screams had to happen <laughs> they screamed but it pushed them all together so the next time they seen him Nair could like see the lines in his face but just wasn't sure what was going on at first till he connected the short pelvis with this guy <laughs> But then I think that might be mostly it. Mastodons. The mastodons were cool. Thinking about like crazy cages. I guess we kind of got that in the Lord of the Rings, right? The elephant things with the flat stages on them and all the people fighting off of them. Mm. I don't quite think these mastodons were that big. I think these were just like normal mastodons, which are big, but not giant. Yeah, the the level of animal cruelty in this book is um, it's pretty high. You get yeah. the camels and the horses and the mastodons. In all in all fairness, humans are animals too in this book. Humans are animals, and they're also treated unfairly on almost every page. Tiny yeah, but you Yeah, the cats as well. Uh, well, I was gonna say you, you, you won't. It's like it's the humans doing the killing. Um, but I guess you have some mastodons killing humans as well, so it evens out. I don't know. I found myself imagining what a mastodon tastes like. Just start starving out there on a the battlefield, sitting on top of like a giant elephant cow thing. Yeah, I, w I was more curious about the books. Hmm. What, what the books were tasting like, huh? Yeah. Especially that I think they're like, like they're like sorcerer's books, aren't they? I think that was the best joke. I came in and made a joke about how like they had bad their books were like foul because they had bad tastes or something so <laughs> they're eating like foul tasting books <laughs> yeah there, there was a couple of good jokes Aka deciding he was going to joke with Esenet about uh his little tent going from a tiny tent to this big giant thing and next it's going to be the Andamine Heights she's going to be the queen <laughs> And yeah. then he he still says it after he's been all defeated, <laughs> and it just doesn't hit. Doesn't uh, I I felt a great secondhand embarrassment. Yeah. I yeah. I I you have to feel bad for Kamin. But also, it's maybe kind of his fault. A little bit, maybe. Mostly. <laughs> How long could you guys survive off the books you have? Let's talk about this. <laughs> we're we're all alone, and we had to just survive off our books. How long could we need to live? To boil books. I've never read a book before, but. But I think the like their books are probably made of something like. Leather, vellum or leather like 
I don't think you can, I mean, all my books are just paper books or, or digital books. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not sure how you could make a soup out of a normal paper book. I, I don't know if it has any nutritional value. Our books are more useless than they used to be. They used to be way less useless. Yeah, maybe we should just go back to uh, making uh, books out of... What, what, is it like baby lambs or something they make the, the pages from? Yeah, speaking of animal abuse, all animals, kind of. I was even telling Steve a week or two ago, I feel like, that there's even some books that are bound with human skin. Two or three is still in existence. I guess they will make a good soup then. <laughs> There's a small amount of cannibalism going on, I think, in the city, wasn't there? I, feel like I, I think it was hinted rude. at, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, I think they did hint at it. I don't know what I would do. I'm a picky eater. Definitely not in that cut a vein on my horse and just suck the blood out. Depends on how thirsty you are, I guess. Hmm. This is true. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of the part where even Nair was contemplating it, and he's He's like thinking about what Kellis told him, and he's like, "Lies made flesh." I wonder what lies would taste like. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, that was also the one mo one moment where Proya sends for him. Like he sends him a message, and he, and then Nayor storms into his room. Is like, dude, I cannot read. Why you're sending me missives? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> What are these chicken scratch? Yeah. Send word, I said. <laughs> I forgot about that. Funny, funny parks. Look at that. That's good stuff. Yeah. I missed I think, all like, of the yeah. horrible, horrible things that happened. A million dead people, maybe. Yeah, but it does, apart from the very last few pages, like it's, it does not feel, I mean, it does feel dark to me, but it's not, it's not as graphic as maybe would think it would be. Hmm. Like, did, like, did you, or like, did you find the book like dark? Like, does it mean your standards work for what grim dark supposed to be? I think I met the standard. I don't think it was as dark as the first one or as a lot of other ones. You don't understand why people call it the darkest thing they've ever read yet? It's not, it's, uh, I don't think it's the darkest. I think, I still think Beyond Redemption's darker. Katarina still doesn't think it's the darkest thing she's ever read? I would say House of Sacrifice is dark. Yeah. Um, 
But I will be I will be reading the Greater Ordeal and the Unholy Consult soon, so we'll probably have another conversation after that. I, I expect to change my mind, but we'll see. Hmm. I think you will. <laughs> but I don't know yet. The last two books were just one big book. It was supposed to be this one big book. Yeah, I I did I did hear that it got split into two parts, which seems to be a common thing with these uh, long fantasy series. Hmm. Yeah, I started writing one thing led to another. Now I got three thousand pages. What do I do? Seems to be what happens. I have heard that because uh, of the paper shortages and stuff, that there's um, there's a few series that were changed from like a five book to a three book or five to four, four to three. So they've had to wrap it up sooner than they planned to. But Yeah, that's unfortunate. Like, I, I don't know, like sometimes it might help. Like sometimes with these really long series, like you get the sense that think, things could be trimmed down a little bit, but then I don't know, like if you already planned a five book story and then you have to somehow um reduce it to three that it would seem like a lot of the new ones would probably get lost yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course uh, it's gonna, gonna be tough waiting for two weeks <laughs> at least we know it's a shorter book yeah so we'll probably be able to get through it in what three weeks? Three weeks, four weeks. <laughs> probably like four weeks. We back. Yeah. Yeah. Which means gonna... we'll be done in December with the first series. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to talking about the the end of the thousandfold thought. Um, I'll probably have to bring some tissues, but oh. it'll be fun. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm interested to think what you guys think about scope, since you guys have probably read more fantasy series than me recently. Hmm. And the Grace of Kings kind of got me thinking about scope, because a lot happens, but I feel like I knew the characters less well. Maybe because of it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I've seen Nair go through a lot of struggles and Damien go through some of the worst times and best times and has met already at this point. And the like flowery parts of his writing are the in internal monologue where he's like expanding on these characters not so much detail like a lot of other authors do like describing scenery R. Scott Baker when he goes deep he goes deep on like the philosophy and internal struggles that the people are having and it gets flowery yeah, but then I, it I like leaves me feeling part. like 
Yeah, it leaves me feeling like I know these characters better. Because I get that flowery internal dialogue. And see all their struggles. And I can put myself in their shoes and wonder if they made the worst decisions or the logical decisions. Or if everyone's just brainwashed. Yeah, I feel like maybe that for me has been one of the major differences between the Prince of Nothing and the... Uh, the Aspect Emperor, like the scope of the Aspect Emperor feels feels a lot larger, but I feel like the characters are given less space uh, because of that. And I have not been able to get as attached to them as to the characters in The Prince of Nothing, um, just simply because you don't get to spend as much time with each of the individual characters and you don't get to see as deep into their heads as you do with someone like Akamian or Esmanet or uh, even Kellis. Um, so I feel like that's maybe one difference between the two, between the two series for me. Hmm. But I mean, there are still characters in the Aspect Emperor, which I think are fantastic and, or at least fascinating. Rest in peace, Sarway and Martinus and Bloody Dench. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Sarway. No. Zinim Rest in Zinim peace. Zinimus's Zinim eyeballs. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lot of character. Yeah. It's like yeah. Akamian says he's going to fix me. I don't got eyes. <laughs> I guess the Siswarim don't have eyes either. Yeah, but, I don't really see Zainima's becoming a Sishwaram. Well, that was, what did you guys think of the metaphysics? Kind of very briefly brought it up. Zinimus is walking with Akamian and he does not have his eyes, but he can still see the tears of God, like, reaching out towards them. So he, he said he could see, which is kind of weird. <laughs> also, who was it? Nair thinking about the tears of God? Maybe it was someone else, but he's like, it doesn't matter who, who has the tears of God, they work. Just thinking about the irony of that, that the Phantom could throw a tear of God and it would work the same way in and Rithi would throw a tear of God and it would work and they worship different gods. So what's really going on? Yeah, it, it does. It seems like it's not conditional on you believing in the quote unquote right, right God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. I mean, the whole like religious system is still very confusing for me. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe or if there is anyone who believes in the right thing or if it's all just the same thing and people have different interpretations of it. Um, it's, it's very unclear at this point. Are you talking about life or are you talking about the book? Yeah. 
I thought so much about Christianity when you said it, and about the Old Testament and New Testament. And, no, I'm um, I'm pretty much an atheist, but um, there's lots of different interpretations, right? Otherwise, there would just be one church. But lots of people have read the Bible and decided that it meant a little bit different thing than the other person thought, so they can charge ten percent in tithing. <laughs> build cool temples unite people maybe you wouldn't give your 10% of tithing to Kellis though I know that Katarina yeah I have um, trust issues when it comes to authorities apparently you, you pay the Icarus tax though tax and tax and tithing they're just strangely similar yeah i i guess i like i am I'm, I'm maybe too conservative i um i like stability i like what i know <laughs> um and i like i like the romans you know that's a bias hmm. oh. <laughs> but i admit it yeah, it's, I admit it's, uh, you know, it's, there's not much logic behind that. I just think the the iCurries are fun to read about. I'm going to have to go look in the glossary or the, in, in the darkness after we're done here to uh, look up a few things. I might just read what has come before in the next book and then wait. For two weeks and start reading one week one and a half weeks something oh well, i'm excited to uh to continue it'll be weird having a friday without visiting with both of you but you know we'll come back in two weeks and fresh and ready to go for the next one yeah, yeah i'm looking forward to it Cool. So, Daniel, where can people find you if they want to uh, bother you? In the comment section of this YouTube page. I'll read it someday. Someday. Mm. And uh, Katarina, where can people find you? Well, I sometimes also read the comments. Uh, <laughs> but you can you can find me on the page chewing forum or on Instagram at uh, the errand. Cool. Well, thanks to both of you for uh, for rereading this with me. It's my first time, but thanks for uh, for reading again. Coming every week to talk about it. It's been a lot of fun. So, and for not spoiling anything for me, you've both done a really good job. So, thanks again, and thanks everyone for listening or watching. And we'll see you in a couple weeks.